0: All right. Uh, Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's good to hear those hallelujahs again after so long. We've missed them. So who is this Mary Magdalene? Um, Also called Mary of Magdala. She appears several times in the Gospels. Unfortunately, around the uh, 1500s, she became associated erroneously with a woman of the night, and so she's come down to us all of these centuries in art and in song, in literature, as a prostitute. But there is nothing in Scripture that tells us that this is true. In fact, the only thing that we know, well, one of the things that we know about Mary is is that Jesus delivered her from seven demons very early on in his ministry. And after that time, she and several other women followed Jesus as he went around Galilee healing and teaching. Luke tells us, After this, Jesus traveled from one city and village to another. He spread the good news about God's kingdom. The twelve apostles were with him. Also, some women were with him. They had been cured from evil spirits and various illnesses. These women were Mary, also called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, whose husband Chusa was Herod's administrator, Susanna, and many other women. They provided financial support for Jesus and his disciples so uh, mary is not associated with any man apparently she's independently wealthy she and these other women financially support jesus and the disciples now we know later on in the Acts that they have to, they cast lots for somebody to take the place of Judas, to make up to the number of the 12. And amongst all of those other people who had been Jesus' followers, there were about 400 or so, and they chose one out of that number. So these women were also following jesus they were part of this larger group who were going along with jesus for the three years of his ministry and so mary of magdala it's only 12 miles from magdala on the northwest coast of the sea of galilee to capernaum which was where Jesus' center, uh, where he centered his ministry. Much of his ministry was around the Lake of Galilee, and in particular, that northern side. So a two hour, uh, two hours walking, if we were in a car, like a 12 minute drive from Capernaum to Magdala. So this Mary comes from this small village and has been with Jesus all this time. And she remains at the cross. When the disciples except John, the beloved, all of the disciples leave, but the women stay. Again in John, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. How difficult this must have been for the women to stay there for six hours watching The Agony of the Lord on the Cross. Imagine with me, if you will, Mary's story. It was before dawn on the first day of the week. And Mary, because of the Sabbath laws... Had remained in the house where she was staying. The events of those last few days, those hours before the Sabbath started, are seared into her memory. It had all happened so quickly. The disciples had come to tell them as soon as Jesus was arrested, they'd seen it all, the jeering crowds, the fake trial, the scourging, that painful walk to the outskirts of the city, and then the agony, the nails in his dear body. It was more than they could stand. But she and the other women couldn't leave him alone to go through it by himself. John stayed too. They just couldn't let him die alone. And for six hours, they waited there. But it happened sooner than they expected. Better in a way, he was out of his agony. But when he raised himself up and shouted those last words, she thought her heart would break. And then he was dead, gone. In the midst of the pain, all the memories came surging back. He'd freed her from her demons. She would have done anything for him, followed him anywhere, but he was gone. And she carried, seared in her memory, the image of that body, broken and bleeding and empty of life. As she was in that house, she remembered Joseph from Arimathea who asked Pilate for the body and they took down his body and Nicodemus and they laid him in Joseph's new tomb. But it had all gone so quickly because Sabbath was approaching and they needed to be gone from there. She hadn't really had time to say her goodbyes. No time to really care for his body she didn't really remember how she got back to the house. Her eyes stung from her tears and were puffed almost shut. She thought she could cry no more, but then she would remember and gut-wrenching sobs and tears would come unbidden. Her grief, like a metal case, Around her chest, she really couldn't take a deep breath. It ached so much. She thought she'd go crazy if she needed to stay cooped up in that room any longer. It wasn't yet dawn. It was still dark out, but she couldn't stand it. And so she ran, half stumbling, not really noticing the sharp stones under her feet to where they had laid her Lord's body. The dew wet on the ground. Without thinking, she lifted her skirts that were now heavy around her ankles with the wet flapping at her flesh. She just needed to be close to her Lord. Maybe she could persuade somebody to remove the stone so she could properly care for her Lord's body. And as she ran and stumbled and stumbled and ran, she looked back down the road to Bethany, to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's house, and beyond to Galilee, and all of those memories. And finally, she got to the garden where the tomb was, And she knew immediately something was wrong. The stone was moved back. They'd taken his body. Even that was taken from her. And she ran back into the town. To the house where she knew Peter and John were staying. They've taken our Lord out of the tomb. And I don't know where they have taken him. And Peter and John leave in a hurry. They're running and she's winded. So she follows on behind as best she can. As she gets there, she sees that John has kind of looked in. And then Peter arrives and he looks in and then goes in. And then John follows him in. And then she gets there and they come out. And they go back to their house. And she stands there and then looks in. And two men in white are either end of where they had laid the Lord. Just the empty grave cloths on that stone slab. And the two men in white. And they ask her, why are you crying? And she says, oh, please, please. They've taken away, my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And then sensing somebody behind her, she turns, and the sun is rising. And so in shadow, she sees the gardener. And he asks, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Do you know, she says, Have you taken him away? Please, oh please, I just want his body. If I can't have things the way they were, at least let me have his body. If you've taken it away, tell me where it is. I'll go and get it. One word. Change Mary's world forever. It was her name on the lips of the Lord. Mary. It changed our world forever. It wasn't the gardener. It was the Lord who was alive. If a scourged, blooded, pierced and crucified Lord that she had seen laid in the tomb, was alive again, the same and yet different, then her life was totally changed. But not hers alone. There had been a cataclysmic change in the world order, in the entire cosmos. And Jesus chose Mary of Magdala to be the first evangelist with the news that the world had changed and would never go back to the way it was. She became known as the apostle to the apostles. Jesus said, Go, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary went and told the disciples, I have seen the Lord. See the empty tomb. See this? How the amazing a job our Flower Guild have done? The empty tomb, the stone pulled away, and the light shining out from the tomb. When Mary arrived, it was a place of mourning. Now, it's a place of unrestrained joy. On Good Friday, it seemed that hope had died. At the empty tomb, hope could never die again. On Good Friday, fear won the day. At the empty tomb, there is no longer anything to fear. On Good Friday, it seemed that death had conquered. At the empty tomb, death has been conquered forever. On Good Friday, it seemed that we would remain dead in our sins at the empty tomb. Our sins have died with Christ and we are, through baptism, eternally alive in him. On Good Friday, this world's ruler, our enemy, the Satan, seemed to have won at the empty tomb. Jesus is the victor. And revealed as this world's true king on Good Friday, it seemed that Jesus' life had flown out from him at the empty tomb. Having passed through death, he is alive and will never die. On Good Friday, it seemed that all had come to an end. At the empty tomb, it's just the beginning. At some point, we are all Mary. We're all Mary at the tomb, grieving, mourning for life as it was, wishing we could go back to a different time. But Jesus is right there as he was 2,000 years ago. He is right here, and in the stillness of the morning, he has your name on his lips. He's been saying it since he knit you together in your mother's womb, and he's saying it still. Your name. On the Savior's lips, may we walk again today through the doorway into new life, into the new life in Christ, where the power of sin and the fear of death has lost its dominion, where the power of God, the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in those of us who believe and who have been baptized into death of Christ and raised to new life in Him. Listen to your name on His lips. It said with such tenderness. Amen.